have shifted just over our lifetimes, and yet we stand here today completely free to worship at will, however we choose to. And then I watch videos like this one, and I talk to our missionaries around the world in these Muslim nations, in Egypt and Madagascar and these other places, and I'm reminded that I'd better not ever take for granted one moment that I'm free to stand with my brothers and sisters in Christ and worship Him because that freedom can be taken away. Okay? Make no mistake, the church of Jesus Christ will advance regardless of the freedoms or, or lack of that are granted by men. But I'd much rather, uh, I'd much prefer having it this way. Free to worship. Free to gather and fellowship. Free to share the scriptures. You know, free to share the gospel with unbelievers. I'd much rather have it this way than to have to struggle to get a copy of the Bible. Than to have to meet with my family in Christ in secret. Than to face prison or worse for sharing my faith you know it's a wonderful privilege to live in freedom and yet one of the really beautiful parts of living in Christ is even without the freedoms in society without freedoms from government uh, without acceptance in culture without the freedoms that come from men we can still be eternally free in Jesus Christ and at peace knowing that the ultimate freedom that only comes through him and that's freedom that no man, no government, no policy, you know, no law can ever take away. Conversely, there are millions of people that live under the protections and freedoms of their government, their society that says you're free to worship whatever, whoever, wherever, whenever you like. And yet they're enslaved by sin and legalism and, and the dark forces of the enemy and their past and sickness and poverty and social injustices, all of these bondages of our adversary, and we talked about those last week, there's so many people who are lost and not willing or are unaware of the true eternal freedom that can only come through Jesus Christ. And so as the second half of last week's message on freedom, we're going to continue to talk about the subject today and we'll explore a bit further this aspect of God's love for us. And Riley, I have a little bit of ringing in the monitor up here, so I don't know if you can maybe take it out of there. Thank you. Last Sunday, we, we had a uh, last-minute change in sound personnel today. Keith had to leave, and so we're, we're getting it together. Last Sunday, we answered the question, what are we enslaved by when we don't have Christ in our lives? And we talked about all of these bondages of the enemy and the freedom from those bondages, which is available to us, when we are in Christ, okay? And today we're going to try and answer a couple of more questions, a couple additional questions about freedom. The first is, where do we find freedom? Okay? Yeah, we're good. Thank you. Where do we find freedom? The back half of 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And that is certainly true. But this is one of those partial passages that we've manipulated a bit at least in charismatic circles over the years. And although I believe that the intent is often pure, I think we've misinterpreted this at times. And so, as always, it's important that we really examine this verse in its context and try and gain an understanding of what's actually being said here. Okay? Can you hear me okay? I just lost it. <laughs> chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians is a short chapter. So uh, let's go back and we're going to read the whole chapter. Uh, chapter 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It's pretty short. The entire chapter here, Paul is explaining that the ministry of the new covenant, 
or the ministry of Christians, of course, is the ministry of the Spirit of God. Okay, keep that in mind. Let's jump in. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts, to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. What Paul is saying here is that now that the Corinthians are born again, you know, believers, Christians, now that they're followers of Christ, their changed lives, the freedom that they have in Christ, should send a clear message about the validity of Paul's ministry, the ministry of the gospel. We testify to all of mankind the truth about Jesus Christ, which has been written on our hearts by the Spirit of God, right? We know that. How can, how can the Spirit of God, though, write on our hearts? Because when you become a Christian, you have the Spirit of God living inside of you. Right? When you were a kid and people in church would ask you if you'd like to invite Jesus into your heart, what they were actually asking, whether they realized it or not, is would you like to place your faith in Christ and invite the spirit of the living God into your heart? Right? Because we don't have a little Jesus living inside of us, do we? We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, right? And Paul's referring here to the spirit of God living in the hearts of the Corinthians. So let's continue. Verse 4. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant. Not to the letter, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what has been brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Why does Paul say, since we have such a hope, we are very bold? Because he's reminding the Corinthians of the freedom and power available to them through the Spirit of God living inside of them. He just finished explaining how the ministry of the Spirit that dwells in your heart if you're a follower of Christ is so far superior to the ministry of the Old Covenant, the law, which was written on these stone tablets. And after explaining how powerful and how wonderful and freeing the ministry of the Spirit is, he says to the Corinthians, since we have such a hope... We are very bold. He's, he's reminding them that not only is the Spirit of God far better, far superior to anything else they could rely on, anything that they could draw from, anything else that's available to them, but he's reminding them that they can be bold in their ministry and in their lives because that same Spirit already dwells inside of them, right? They don't have to go searching for something or some experience because they already have the Spirit of God living inside of them. Let's continue. We'll start back on verse 12. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. 
Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might, might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, for to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ is it taken away, you see. Freedom only comes through Christ. You know that. Verse 15, Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, okay, it's the key to what Paul is telling the Corinthians, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Okay? Once we turn to the Lord, things change. How do they change? That's where verse 17 comes in. Okay? All of this, all this chapter, all that we've just read, sets up this famous verse. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Okay? Where is the Spirit of the Lord? This is what Paul has been trying to explain to the Corinthians who look to the law, who look for experience, who are looking for something outside of themselves. Where is the Spirit of the Lord if you're a born-again believer? It's inside of you. If you're a Christian, you have the Spirit of the living God living inside of you. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, what? There is freedom. Okay? The misuse of this verse is that we sometimes complicate what it means to be where the Spirit of God is. I don't know about all of the other denominations and religious traditions, but I know that in charismatic Pentecostal circles, we've been guilty of trying to chase freedom in the Spirit. We try to figure out where the Spirit is so we can go there and experience some modicum of freedom. So when there is a particularly great worship service and the music is really powerful and the mood is just right and everything is flowing, we feel like the Spirit of God is now able to show up because we have our act together and so we can finally experience freedom in the Spirit. Or we seek out a really great time in prayer with our other brothers and sisters in Christ so the Spirit can show up and we can experience freedom. And we quote verses like Matthew 18.20, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And that's true. But Jesus in that passage is referring to unity among the believers who are seeking reconciliation for a wayward brother. If you read the whole chapter, he's not saying if you will get together and pray, then I will show up. That's not what he's saying. Not at all. He's saying if you'll be unified in my name and seeking my will in regard to the restoration of a backslidden believer and you'll get together and pray for that, I will be in the midst of that prayer because that's the Father's heart. That's his will. 1 John 5, 14 and 16 says the same thing. Addresses a very similar issue. If we ask anything according to his will... We hear this verse quoted all the time. That's the key. He hears us. And if we know that he hears us, and whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. And so we ask for houses and cars and promotions and all kinds of stuff. But you have to read the next verse. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. It's the same thing. It's talking about the same subject. These passages are directly addressing the restoration of those who are walking away from the faith. They're not saying that we have to gather together, huddle up in order for the Spirit of God to show up. Okay? And listen, I'm not at all saying that there's no power in praying with other Christians. There is, in fact, much power in that. There's much scripture to support that. I'm not saying that there's no power in worshiping God with other believers. There's much power in that. 
I'm simply saying that we cannot somehow conjure up the Spirit of God when the music is particularly good or the prayers are particularly loud. We don't have to wait for God to show up in our lives. Why? Because if you're a Christian, He's already there. That's the great news. The Spirit of the living God is living inside of you. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there, right there, inside of you, there is freedom. Okay? And I know there are plenty of verses in the Bible that talk about waiting on the Lord. But that isn't so He will show up. We wait upon the Lord for Him to act on our behalf. Not to show up. Okay? God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. And he's living inside of us, so he's already here. We wait on the Lord to act on our behalf. Listen, uh, we wait on him to renew our strength, Isaiah 40, 31. We wait on him to provide, Psalm 104, 27 through 28, to give us direction and guidance, Psalm 25, 4 and 5. We wait on him to save us, Psalm 62, 1, okay? We wait on the Lord so that he will act on our behalf. But in regard to freedom, if you are a believer, that is already available to you because his spirit already dwells inside of you. We have to get this inside of our minds and understand it. So we don't have to try and find him. We don't have to try to create the perfect atmosphere for him to show up, okay? There's a big difference also between having no freedom because you don't have the Spirit of God living in you and not taking advantage of the freedom that is available to you even though the Spirit of God is living inside of you. Those are two different things. Unbelievers, non-Christians, don't experience freedom because they don't have the Spirit of God living inside of them. In John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus said, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. In John 14, 6, a little later, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What's the truth? Jesus is the truth. The truth will set you free. How do we experience the truth? Jesus, that sets us free. By his spirit that lives within us. Okay? So we know that if you haven't committed your life to Christ, if his spirit is not living inside of you, you have no access to freedom. Okay? To true freedom. However, when believers, Christians, don't experience freedom, it's because they're choosing to walk outside of the freedom afforded to them by the Spirit of God. And that's a different situation altogether, right? If you're a child of God, one more time, a born-again believer, you have freedom in Christ available to you 24-7 because the Spirit of God is living inside of you. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, what? There is freedom, okay? So don't worry about finding freedom. You simply need to take advantage of the freedom that is already available to you and begin to walk in that freedom and progress daily from one level with the Spirit of God to the next and the next continually, which is what Paul addresses in the last verse of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Listen, we again, in charismatic circles, I don't mean to pick on Pentecostals, it's just what I know. We talk about going to the next level. I need more of God, more of God, more of God. There, there is one God. You have Him living in you or you don't. He doesn't put in an arm, and then when you ask, he puts in another arm, and then later he puts in a head. You either have God in you or you don't. And if you have God living in you, you have all of God living in you. So when Paul talks about 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, 
And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. What's he talking about? He's talking about us going to the next level. It's sanctification. It's freedom. As we experience increased freedom in our walk with the Lord, sanctification, it's us, it's, it's him doing it, but he's changing us. It isn't getting more of God. It's, uh, it's less of us. You understand the difference? We're letting go of ourselves and allowing him to take over more of us. It's not that more is coming in. Does that make sense? That's a pretty big, hairy theological difference, and it's pretty important that we get a hold of that because we've misconstrued some of these scriptures, and so we can walk around thinking, I just need, my problem is I don't have enough of God. And what I need is a really good prayer service, a really good worship service, and I'll get more of God. And we take the responsibility off of ourselves and we put it on Him. But the responsibility to walk in freedom, once we're a believer, and we have Christ in us, is it, the ionis is on us. We have to give up more of ourselves so that He can take over. I can't think of anything much worse than not walking in the freedom available to me through Christ. It's like having a giant cake sitting in front of me with the best frosting ever made. Like the cream cheese frosting that they put on. Oh man, it's so good. Carrot cake, you know what I'm talking about? And then you find out that it's fat free. And it's sugar free. And it's carb free. And it's calorie free. And it's cholesterol free. But it tastes amazing. If that were really possible. And it's all yours for the taking right there and you don't eat it. What a waste. Why not take full advantage of the freedom that he offers us, you know? But we walk around, so many of us, and we don't take advantage of the freedom available to us. I remember when I first came to the South, and I had never in my life heard of a chigger. I didn't know what that was. I'd never heard of that. They don't exist north of the Mason-Dixon line. So I went blackberry picking one day in shorts and a t-shirt, and flip-flops with some friends. And a couple of days later, I woke up and it looked like I had some rare disease. And I literally, I was in a panic, and I went to the doctor, and I said, you know, am I dying? What's the deal? And he looked at me and he said, well, you have chiggers. Now, for some people, that may be a relief. I'm like, how long do I have? <laughs> chiggers might as well be, you know, I don't know. I never heard of it. I'm like, what, what is that? What does that mean? I'm panicked. And he's laughing at me. And he said, well, it's this little bug. And he tells me the whole story. It's not a whole lot you can do, you know, but there's some treatments to help stop the itch and just buck up and deal with it. It'll go away. But at, at the peak of this infestation in my skin of these things, it was July 4th. And I went to Easley with my friends, and we went to watch the fireworks. And I was so incredibly miserable that day that I couldn't enjoy the celebration of freedom and, and any part of it because I was completely inundated, overwhelmed by my affliction. I remember it well. It didn't matter how many or how big or how colorful the fireworks were because I was totally bound in my own misery. You know, and it's kind of like that with believers sometimes. If you're a Christian, you have all the freedoms in Christ available to you because His Spirit dwells inside of you. But we can continue to wallow in our own misery and bondage if we choose to. And that, in my opinion, is one of the great tragedies of the church today. 
so many Christians who choose knowingly or unknowingly not to walk in the complete freedom that is available to them in Christ. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, we print it on our bulletins every week. Paul says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work, where? Within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Everything that we need to walk in power and freedom as believers is available to us right here, inside of us by his spirit. But we allow ourselves to get so bound up in temporary things sometimes, don't we? Issues that have really no eternal value whatsoever. And if we're not vigilant, we can willingly submit ourselves to the yoke of bondage again instead of walking in the freedom of the spirit of God. And that manifests itself in different ways. But the question is, why don't we always walk in the freedom that's available to us? It's for the same reason that the Galatians were trying to get back to living by the law, even after they'd chosen to follow Christ. We went through that last week. Parameters make us feel secure. We like predictable. It's our nature. But walking in freedom can often mean walking into the unknown. It can mean walking in places that we've never walked before. It can mean letting go of long-held ideas and perceptions that may be more about preferences and less about what's right in God's eyes. I think that the church is sometimes guilty of not always ministering to people in the purest form of freedom that we have in Christ because we like our preferences. We like predictability and so sometimes we revert back to what we've always done because it's predictable and it's comfortable. We've been guilty of that, church leadership, okay? But I'm not sure that's always what God wants from us. In fact, I'm fairly certain that he often wants more from us than we're sometimes willing to give. Okay, the truth is though, walking in freedom is wonderful and sometimes a bit frightening because we don't always know and we can't always predict what's around the next bend, right? Ask the Revels. Ask the Grachowskis. Ask the Josephs. Ask the Brownings. Ask the Cassanos. There are probably lots of you here that I'm not naming. These are people I know who have stepped out into a great unknown purely because God told them to, not because there was security or predictability waiting for them around the corner, not because there was a great promotion or maybe even a job at all waiting for them, but purely because God said so. And although they can be, that can be very unnerving at times, it's also very freeing. And once you step out like that, obedient to his calling and his, his will, even at the expense of security and comfort and predictability, and once you realize that he really is going to take care of all your needs, there's an amazing revelation of freedom that comes to be able to go wherever he wants you to go and do whatever he wants you to do. And I know that many of you are living right there already in a place of obedience, and I want that for all of us. Okay, And that doesn't always mean, by the way, quitting your job and moving somewhere else and doing something different. I realize it doesn't always mean that. Sometimes it does mean that. Sometimes it simply means he's calling you to trust him to a far greater degree than you have been. And what he wants is for you to trust him and obey him completely with your finances and with your marriage. And the ministry that he wants you involved in, in your heart, even the innermost parts, this is how we get from glory to glory with the Lord. When we lay ourselves down, we allow him to take over more and more and more of our lives. 
That's a scary thing. It's a scary thing because it takes us out of our comfort zone. It takes away our securities, our parameters that we've put up. And I'll tell you one of the things that I love so very much about this church is that it is full of people who have chunked comfort and security and predictability to follow God in freedom, even into the unknown. Becky and Tim could probably come up and preach the rest of my sermon right there, couldn't you? Stepping right out into the absolute unknown because God said so. It's a frightening thing. And, and yet, once you've tasted freedom, why would you ever go back? And yet, we often do. So my caution to all of us today is this. Don't let temporary preferences dictate eternal priorities. Okay? Don't let temporary preferences dictate eternal priorities. In other words, make sure before you decide to make something your personal cause before you spend a lot of time and energy fighting for something or trying to attain something, make sure that there is real eternal value assigned to whatever that is. Because I've watched so many people, and I've done it myself in the church, expend so much of their time and resources on issues and projects and ideas and things that carry very little to no eternal value at all. And when we make something a big issue for ourselves, if it's not truly the Father's heart, we can easily begin to give up our freedoms that we have in Him without even realizing it. Because we're so focused on the temporary instead of the eternal. We become focused on what we want instead of what He wants. And th this probably isn't the best example, but it's the one that comes to mind because I've been leading worship in churches for 19 years. And so this comes up a lot. And I was hesitant to even talk about this because I don't want any of you to think I'm picking on you. I've had people come to me and talk about uh, our worship here and volume and things. And there's, a, there's lots of valid issues there that I share with you. So I'm not even referring to you, picking on you. But I'm going to use it as an example because it paints the picture of what I'm trying to say. In the time I've been leading worship all these years, I've been complimented and blessed by people for the work in the ministry and the music that we do more times than I can count. And if there's a complaint that can be made about the music, whatever it is, I guarantee you I've heard it more than once. It's the nature of having a bunch of people with different backgrounds and different tastes and different preferences all in the same room at the same time and then cranking up the band and asking everyone to sing along. It's just a reality. By sheer statistics alone, there will be people, regardless of the style of music, contemporary, traditional, rock and roll, classical, hymns, loud, soft, regardless, there will always be people who love it, and there will always be people who don't love it so much. It's just the truth. It's a fact, and it's really okay, to be honest. It's fine. But more times than I can recount, I've had people come up to me after a service, and it makes me laugh every time. I don't mean it disrespectfully laugh, but the situation, because folks will come up, and they'll say things like, the music was so loud today, or the distortion on the guitars is a distraction, or there's no way what just happened could be worship. <laughs> Passionate. People really upset. And I take that seriously, by the way. I don't laugh at that. But what happens next is funny. And this has happened to me so many times, literally, within two or three minutes. Someone else will come up to me and say, thank you so much for taking the worship up a notch today in church. Man, for the first time ever, I felt the freedom to sing my heart out, to worship with abandon. It's exactly what this church needs. In the same service. I mean, it happens all the time. Who was right and who was wrong? Who was disingenuous? Which, which one was insincere? Neither. 
Because no matter how convinced you are that no one could possibly worship to that music, and you may, be, you may mean it, and that volume or whatever the music and whatever the volume is, loud, soft, and different. I have people complain when we do too many hymns and it's too soft. I've had people come up and they're upset because it's not contemporary enough. Whatever the music and whatever the volume and the whatever and the whatever, there's always someone else who's being blessed by it at the same time. You trust me, I've, I've heard it for 19 years. What's the point? The point is there's absolutely nothing wrong with liking the style of music or the volume of music all the time. There's nothing wrong with not being happy with that. And as long as it's done respectfully and in love, there's absolutely nothing wrong with voicing your feelings to the pastor or worship leader. In fact, you should do that. There have been plenty of days over the years when after a worship service I thought to myself, that was really too loud for me. I wish we'd controlled the volume better. I've had it here <laughs> some days. And I'll tell you that um, although Mark, our drummer today, who of all of our drummers probably plays with the most control and does a fantastic job, it's hard, um, especially with some of the guys that we have in, they're all friends of mine that come in and play, because it gets so loud, then you have to turn everything up to compete with the drums. And now everything's too loud, and my head feels like it's going to pop. And so Butch has come over here on his own time, with his own money, paid for materials, and he's, he's built this drum booth. And I mean, it has been an ongoing project to try and... So I'm saying this so that you know, we, this is something we work on all the time. We're actually at the point now where we're thinking about, because our baptismal is not practical for baptizing, we don't have the money, but when we come up with the money, we're going to enclose, build a floor and completely enclose the drums back there and move the band over here so we can bring everything where it needs to be. So we're, we're working on all of this. You know, that's where we are. But so I understand. But there's a bigger point here is what I'm trying to make. And it's how it relates to our freedom. Okay, all of that is okay, is fine. We and actually have had no issues here with people and attitudes and things being improper at all. It's actually been very healthy. But the bigger point is, if there is a moment, and this is just something you have to ask yourself, because I don't know, if there's a moment during the worship where you're so distracted by the style of music or the volume of the music or anything else that you don't like about what's being offered, if there's a moment that you disengage from worshiping God because you feel too distracted, what you're saying to God is, whether you realize it or not, God, I can't worship you when I'm uncomfortable. But we have to be able to overcome that. Okay? We have to be able to overcome our own preferences and even discomfort when it comes to worshiping God in spirit and in truth. The worship team at church is not responsible for whether or not you worship God. You and you alone are responsible for whether or not you worship God. So you can't disengage during the songs that you don't like and engage when it gets softer or louder or whatever you like, or slower or whatever, and, and expect in that to fully experience freedom in worship. Because it isn't about the music. That's why we sang the last song that we sang today. At the end of the day, we ought to be able to put all the instruments down and just sing and worship God, and it wouldn't matter, right? We use the instruments because God's given us these gifts and these talents, and so we, we play them for, for Christ. We play guitar solos and keyboard solos and saxophone solos and cello solos. You know, David played, and it had a very spiritual effect on Saul. There weren't always words there. 
we can worship with just music. So all of these things are part of worship. But I realize that on any given day, we're never going to satisfy fully the preferences of everyone. It's impossible. But please know at the same time, I'm not insensitive to those preferences. I, in fact, have my own. We don't always meet. So as a worship leader, we're always trying uh, with, uh, within our ability to offer a range of music. You know, we do loud music and soft music and hymns and upcountry unplugged and we bring in strings and we try all kinds of different things. And we'll always do that, number one, because it's what we should do. It's a celebration of music and, and of the Lord with music, all different styles. And we'll always try to help that from a, a preference standpoint, but we can never fully satisfy all of those at the same time, including mine. So what do we do with all of that? What do we do with all of that? Don't let temporary preferences dictate eternal priorities. Worship is an eternal priority. The style of music, the volume, the tennis shoes that the bass player is wearing, you know, those are preferences. Don't let temporary preferences dictate eternal priorities, okay? And there's, there are better examples, and there are a lot of examples that we could talk about. But just remember, most importantly, don't ever forget that because the Spirit of God is living inside of us, we all have the freedom available to us to worship and to serve and to follow Christ wherever He leads us. So let's not give up ground when it comes to our freedom in Christ, whether it's in worship or anything else, okay? Now... We need to move on, and I'll do this very quickly. We've answered the question, where is freedom found? The last question that I'd like to answer today is what do we use our freedom for? And we're wrapping up here. We've talked about all these bondages that he's freed us from. We know where freedom is found. So what do we do with this newfound freedom once we commit our lives to Christ? Do we just exist in this state of freedom, or do we act on it? Let's read. Turn to First uh, Peter. chapter 2, and we'll just read 13 through 17. 1 Peter 2, 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Now he puts all of this into the context of freedom in verse 16. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. The answer to the question, what do we do with our freedom, is in verse 16. Live as people who are free, living as servants of God. He says, be subject to all human institution. Subject yourself and then he talks about freedom. In our way of thinking, in our Western mindset, that seems a little backward. We don't, we don't always associate freedom with subjection. But being slaves of Christ is where we find our freedom. Okay? And that is in serving God by serving others. We aren't granted freedom simply so that we can have a happy, free lifestyle. Our freedom isn't there just to be uh, some sort of stress reliever for us. Our freedom is meant to be a tool that we use in order to serve God by serving others in the most effective way possible. And the most effective way to serve is through our freedom. And see, when you're no longer bound by the law of death, 
bound by sin, bound by your past, by, by the evil dark forces that come against us, and all the other bondages that we talked about. Once you experience freedom from the expectations of the world and our perceptions about security and predictability, the freedom that you have then to serve God and others goes to an entirely new level, which is what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 3.18. When you begin to truly walk in freedom, you're ready to go wherever the Spirit of God tells you to go. You're ready to do whatever he tells you to do. You're ready to pray for whoever he tells you to pray for. You're ready to sell whatever he tells you to sell. You're ready to give whatever he tells you to give, to truly, finally be the person that God has created you to be. And so many of us, including me, are on that journey. I love to go to the Kasana's house for dinner and listen to this family who's established in Charleston, right? We're talking about these guys are pharmacists. This is like their whole life, their whole world. And God says, move and buy a farm. What? What? Move to the mountains and buy a farm. That doesn't make any sense in the natural. But that's what they did. And I'm telling you, God is doing things through this family. And it's just the tip of the iceberg. It's so exciting to watch people step out when God says so into the unknown. Don't know what's around the corner. Don't know what's coming next. This is totally foreign. But when it's God's will, when he's in it, the freedom that you experience at that point, I bet you the Kasanas could pick up and go anywhere now if God told them to. Because once you break from that predictability, that life that we've, we've become so programmed in our society, and I'm not saying it's for everyone to be uprooted, quit your job and move. Understand that. Some of you, God has got you exactly where you're supposed to be. But whatever it is in your life, ask yourself, how far am I willing to go to be truly free in Christ? Do you want to fully realize the calling that God has in your life? Begin to walk in freedom. Do you want to be happier than you've ever been? begin to walk in freedom. Do you want adventure in your life? Begin to walk in the freedom that is available to you. And how do I do that? How do I just start walking in freedom? The answer is you start serving God by serving others. Even at the expense of your own comfort. Even beyond what you can predict. Outside of your natural parameters. Go further than you ever have in serving others for God. And I promise you, he will set you free from the trappings of this world. And you will realize freedom in your own life that I bet you never imagined you even had. How do I get started? Hey, there are so many ways to serve God by serving others. I'll tell you just a few really simple ones in closing. We have a VBS coming up. We've talked about that. People don't always jump at the chance to be a part of something like VBS because it may seem like babysitting. Let me tell you something. We are quite possibly going to have kids from our neighborhood here at the church for VBS. Why is that significant? Because our VBS may well be the only opportunity that some of these kids will have to hear about Jesus, maybe ever. Is there anything more important than that? And yet it's a two-hour commitment each night for one week of your life. We have lots of people signed up, by the way, because you guys are awesome. But understand, sharing Christ with human souls, whether they're six years old or a hundred years old, 
There isn't any greater way to serve others. If you haven't signed up to serve, consider it. And beyond that, we have a donation box back there. Please, we need items for VBS. Please donate. We're forming a service ministry here. We've talked about that. 11 families, including the Ruchis, have signed up to mow the lawn and clean the church. I want you to know that it's more than just mowing the lawn and cleaning up. You're serving the body when you take care of this place. You're serving your pastors and, and staff when you take care of this place. You're serving each other when you serve in fellowship together. And you're serving the community by keeping up our grounds and our facilities in good condition. Not to mention, I rarely come over here to mow the lawn when I don't see our, some of our neighbors in the summer, especially out and about and on our street or around our street or in the field over there across the street. And I can tell you that I always take the opportunity every time, turn off the lawnmower, walk over and talk to our neighbors. I did it yesterday. Keith and I were here mowing the lawn. Neighbors were out with their kids playing in the field. Hey man, put the weed eater down and go over there and talk to them. You know what? Every time I get into a conversation, these folks need encouragement. And that's exactly what I take an opportunity to encourage them. Invite them to church for the 28th time. It's okay. Tell them about VBS. Hey man, your kids, they should, they should come. I told them all about it. It's a ministry. I'm telling you, I've had men who come to our men's breakfast that have told me that God has been restoring their faith and restoring their faith and fellowship in the church because of the time that we take on those Tuesday mornings to pray for each other before we go to work. It's a lot more than eggs and bacon. It's real ministry. When you participate in the men's ministry, you never know. Guys, you never know what your prayers and your encouragement is doing for other men. We have wonderful children's workers. We could use more. We're in the developing stages of a prayer ministry team and discipleship ministry team. We're developing these ministries now. There are so many ways to serve right here at this church, and so many of you already are. Women's ministry, youth ministry, worship ministry. Okay, They all take time and require some sacrifice, but you see, it's in the letting go of ourselves and in the embracing of the Spirit of God within us and in the service of others that we find freedom. And these things that I've mentioned, those are just primers, you know? They're just starters. There's so much more available to us that most of us don't even realize when we truly become free in Christ. For a long time, I really thought I was something special. I built two companies from the ground up. I made a lot of money. I had people that looked up to me and I had a lot of stuff and I, I honestly really thought that I had done something big. When I finally figured out that my life isn't about me, it's about serving God by giving my life away to other people, all of the worldly things that meant so much to me all of a sudden didn't matter much at all. And when I walked away from all of it and committed myself to serving others instead of me, it was incredibly freeing. You see, this whole deal, this whole world and our life in it is all about what we can do for Him by serving others. That is freedom defined. That is Christian freedom defined. I'd like for our worship team to come. We're going to close the service this morning with a, a very short time of worship, just a couple of minutes. I just felt led preparing this message 
to close with a song about freedom. And as we do, I want to just declare the freedom that we have in him through the song that's available to us. And can we just make this really a time of commitment and closing that we'll walk in his freedom to a greater degree than we ever have before. Okay, would you stand and we're going to pray together in just a moment before we sing. Let's pray.